Hello and welcome to episode 31 of About IBD. I'm Amber Tresca. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 1989 and then had J-pouch surgery in 1999. My guest today is Angela Cohen, who is talking with me about her various diagnoses of chronic illnesses and how that has impacted her dating life. It's a pretty common question in the chronic illness community as to how early one should disclose diagnoses and then how much one should give as far as information about how it impacts your life or even at all in the early stages of meeting someone and deciding that you want to have a relationship with them. There are many differing opinions on how to approach this and ultimately I think it depends on the individual. But Angela has some insight about how early she discloses and why she does it. If you're on the dating scene, you're going to want to listen to what Angela has to say about why she has made the choices that she has and what she's going to do going forward. Here is Angela Cohen talking with me about dating while having IBD. Hey, Angela, thanks so much for talking with me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to be on. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that you reached out to me because we haven't really talked or connected before. So I'm super interested in hearing some more about your diagnosis. I know that you deal with a couple of different chronic illnesses. And I'm hoping you could take a few minutes and take me through uh, your diagnosis story and where you are today with your IBD especially. Well, I was diagnosed in 2010, um, June 2010, with Crohn's disease. I was diagnosed pretty suddenly, I should say. I went back and forth to the emergency room, urgent care, and I was sent away without testing, unfortunately. And they told me that I had a flu, and then they gave me some antibiotics, and then told me I was allergic to antibiotics. And then I refused to go back because it was just, I wasn't getting any treatment and or testing. And then I went to my primary care doctor who told me that my appendix had burst. But what really happened was my intestine had perforated, and I had an abscess in my abdomen. And so then I had emergency surgery and had a third of my colon removed and then start part of my small intestine as well. And they diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. At first, they told me it was not Crohn's disease. It looked like it. But at the time, they told me that I couldn't have it because I am Asian, which we know is not true. And then it, I got sent to a GI. And after about a year with that GI, I realized that was not the GI for me. And I went to see an IBD specialist. Since then, I have had many different treatments, but my care has always improved at that point, I feel. And just last year, I have reached endoscopic remission, but not histologic. That's a great topic. Do you want to delve into that a little bit more? I feel like you're knowledgeable about it. Well, so my disease is at the best it's ever been so far, but it is not yet fully in remission. They have gone into what's <laughs> the parts that you have left, <laughs> and they're telling you that you don't have any evidence of disease or you only have scarring or what? I do have some minor ulcerations still, but... As far as histologically, they are still 
showing some disease activity. And since that initial um, surgery, I've had three more sons. Disease-wise, it's the best it's ever been as far as minimal activity. However, it still has some showing. It's just the best I've been since I've been diagnosed, which has been a trying uphill battle, as well as my functional GI issues and the other diagnoses. You got all the way to the point where you were perforating before you got treatment. How long do you think your symptoms were actually going on before that happened? Four months. Um, actually, funny enough, it comes up in my Facebook memories like, ha, huh, here we are, of me feeling absolutely horrible for roughly six to nine months before I actually perforated. And I was told in the hospital by the emergency room doctor that it was the size, the abscess was the size of a grapefruit and had my, ab- had my intestine not perforated and the abscess had gone on for another two weeks, I would probably be dead. That had to be so painful. How painful was that? It was absolutely horrible. And um, the person who was my supervisor at the time, I had to leave work because I was going to my primary doctor, actually asked me when I said I needed to leave, are you dying? And I said, I think I might be. And it turns out I actually was. Oh, my gosh. They were unhappy that I was leaving work because I was actually the type of person that even after this and when I would have to have my surgery or I would have to be back in the hospital because we were working on a huge project at the time. I would take my laptop to the hospital and start work and keep working <laughs> during my flares. So yeah, I'm familiar with that uh, <laughs> kind of work ethic a little bit. And had you heard of Crohn's before they came in and told you that you had Crohn's or suspected Crohn's? I had heard of Crohn's disease before. Um, a very good friend of mine, her brother-in-law had it. Um, and he had a very difficult disease as well. Um, he had, I, I don't know his whole story, um, but he had a very difficult course and then also developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, that's awful. Then, yeah, about the time, it was about, I want to say a year and a half into my journey, he had mental health issues and he took his own life. So part of the reason that I feel support is very important for people as well as doing what I do is that I think that it's very important for people to not feel that they're alone and have proper information and support. Completely agree with you, of course. That's why part of part of the reason why we're talking today. And I do notice in your advocacy that you do a lot uh, in, in terms of mental health and drawing attention to that. Yeah, because I think that, I mean, I'm not saying that anything could have been prevented or anything like that. But at the time, I honestly didn't know much about it myself there was a lot going on that I was being told that I shouldn't be doing. And it was based on what had happened with him. And it was not necessarily correct information, but they meant well because of things that had gone on. I can see that, especially if that's your only touch point with Crohn's disease or with the mental health aspect of of dealing with Crohn's disease. 
It's so unfortunate that that happened. Right. So. And then it turns out the person that I was I was renting at the time and my landlord actually, after I got diagnosed, had Crohn's disease as well. The GI I was working with was not the right fit for me. He had been being seen at an IBD treatment facility or hospital that had an IBD clinic, I should say. And that's where he said I should go. You live in an area that's a little bit uh, IBD-centric, yeah. I think, right? So <laughs> tends to happen more in, in uh, the northern areas of the country, of the United States. So I, and I lucked out that I happened to find my doctor and I've been with him since. So I want to pull a little bit at this thread that they told you that you couldn't have Crohn's disease because you're Asian? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Like, have you come up against that again as you've been advocating and as you've been, you know, taking your journey through this? Well, I haven't with Crohn's. I The surgeon, actually, who did my first surgery told me that. Well, it looks like Crohn, something called Crohn's disease, but you can't have that because you're Asian. And I went, oh, okay. And it was like, all right. And because of what my friend's brother-in-law had, he, I was like, oh, phew, because he had had such a hard journey, you know? Then I went, oh, and like I went for the follow-up and they're like, just kidding. You know, like it is. I didn't know much about it. And then since I was like with being educated on it, I'm like, oh, they were really wrong. Um, and then I also have dysautonomia or, and well, several types, but POTS that's more commonly found in Caucasians, but that doesn't mean that Asians can't have it. But then when I am, like I say I have it and people are aware of what it is, they're like, really? And they look at me like I am a unicorn because I'm Asian. Well, how did that happen? But you're Asian. And I'm like, well, yes. <laughs> you know, like. Like you don't know, right? First off. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's shocking. I have no mirrors in my house. <laughs> <laughs> that's brand new information. That's right. What I was told twice when I went to the emergency room when I was so sick was, you're too young to have anything wrong with you. I mean, I was hysterical crying in the emergency room at one of the hospitals here, vomiting repeatedly. And when I finally got to the doctor, he said, no, I'm not doing blood work. I'm not doing any tests for no reason. You're too young to have anything wrong with you. I mean, I was 24 at the time. I mean, I look younger, but <laughs> I'm still 24. We both know there's no reason that would be too young for anything. That's ridiculous. I was diagnosed at 16, and when I said to my gastroenterologist at the time, I am too young for this mess, he said, guess what, girl? This is a disease of young people. I'm so sorry that you had to go through <laughs> all of these barriers. Oh, my gosh. It's just oh, it's awful. You're a parent, right? Well, I was a step-parent, yes. Tell me about you were 24. Yeah. Okay. People think of their 20s a certain way, but you've now spent a significant amount of like half really, right, of your 20s coping with this. So how did that affect your social life? At the time of diagnosis, I was already living with my ex and his daughter. He had two daughters, one who lived with us full time. 
when we had met, she was 10. And so she was preteen and was roughly 12 when I um, got diagnosed. And we were engaged two weeks when I had emergency surgery. Any diagnosis is life altering, but it was kind of crazy because, I mean, you know, as a parent, when you have any sort of vacation or PTO time, it's pretty much you save it for conferences and (laughs) school trips or make appointments for them or, you know. That's pretty much how my time was used anyways. So then I had to try and figure out, well, how do you balance doing that and also doing taking care of myself? And then it was also trying to save my social life, which was, you know, hanging out with my friends, which I really didn't do too much, I suppose, other than once in a great while. And that really became minimal when you're in and out of the hospital consistently. It became very trying for a lot of years. Right. And then that relationship ended, right? As you said, my ex. (laughs) Yeah, it it did. It did not work out. (laughs) (laughs) So now you're back into the dating world again. And... I would love for you to sort of take me through what it is like to to date in this day and age when we talked briefly before recording. Now you're coping with your diagnosis, you're newly single, but you're young, you still want to have fun and date, and how do you put this all together? I had not really dated (laughs) at all previously. I was, I mean, if you kind of got the gist of it. I was kind of a workaholic previous to any of that. Um, Like I met my friend through or my ex through a friend who I worked with. So now jumping into dating, I'm like, I also have, you know, issues with being a social idiot to begin with. And then (laughs) add in on top of that, the body issues that come along with it. And the, when do I tell them versus, well, I mean, most of my life stories online for the public to see. So I guess if anyone Googles me, you know, Um, but I decided after quite a while um, of being separated and, you know, whatever that my friend was like, oh, you should go online. Well, online dating is very weird. Let me just put that out there because I don't I don't fully understand it yet. And that's been a while. Like, I think I opened a online, it was like an app, I guess you could say. It took me a long time just to figure out how that worked. And then they want pictures and they want information. And it's like, how much information do you put out there? That's a really good question. How much information do you put out there? You and I, because we have our advocacy work that we do, we already do put out a lot, as you said. Uh, A simple Google search will turn up a lot. But I know for myself that there's still a lot that I hold back. So how did you reconcile that? And did you find yourself holding back from from the dating app because it just it felt intrusive? 
I did. I put out there just general information about me. And then what I ended up doing was not putting out there really much information at all, other than general characteristics about myself. Well, first I went on one date. It was terrible. <laughs> Let me just tell you, after like 10, well, it was probably closer to eight years, nine years of not dating at all. This was like my first date. And I was like, this was the worst thing in the world. It's probably going to be close to another eight to nine years before I ever date again. (laughs) 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 Well, you had to start somewhere, right? Right. Like I was like, this is never happening again. And then I was like, maybe I need to figure out what I want. What am I going to want out of this whole dating thing? Maybe that's what I need to figure out. And it actually gave me more perspective on me. What are my expectations? So that's what I really liked about it. And so this is what I'm willing to, like you said, give away. And I kind of edited it. And what am I looking for here? So I kind of went from there. And the most uncomfortable thing for me, I think, is the first thing that's asked. And right now I'm on disability. And so, you know, they're, what are you doing for work? And I'm like, well, currently I'm not working due to health reasons. A lot of people then just go, okay, bye. And I'm like, okay. And then some people are quite, I mean, this is a little crude to say, but just like, well, does that health issue interfere with you doing sexual things? Yeah. (laughs) I got that question too when dating. It was kind of a shocker. And I'm like, well, it was nice of you to ask that. 20 seconds into saying hello. How do you how do you answer that question? Because I well, I was very young at at the time and I would then go into, you know, my little sort of educator mode and say, well, this is this and that is that. And you know, if you know anything about anatomy, it doesn't really have anything to do with it. What do you do? Okay, so I've had a couple people ask me that, and quite honestly. First, I've had that asked before they've even asked what my health issue is. And I'm like, well, no, but that question stops you from knowing if there's anything wrong with me having sexual activity. Like that, no, who asks that? Like, I just basically did not respond to that person. If they're actually genuinely interested or they ask about what it is, I will educate them. And say, because I've had several people ask, and then I'll tell them what it is that I have. And then a lot of people have said, oh, yeah, I know what Crohn's disease is. And then they actually do not. They especially do not know what POTS is. I don't actually give them the full list, though. I have not actually gotten to that point. So you're not putting, obviously, you're not putting any of your diagnoses in sort of like the app, the initial contact that you have, you're kind of waiting a little bit before you get that far. Right. Because I mean, like, I don't actually put that until I actually talk to someone and have a meaningful conversation with them to a point. And I've gone on, there's no other way to put it, but several first dates. And it's just not anything past that. Because 
most people don't really feel like it's almost like weeding it out. Yeah, I agree. And so you actually, I think, in from my experience in talking with different people with IBD, it sounds to me like you disclose a little bit earlier than than some people do. Do you think that that's true? Probably. I don't necessarily disclose all of my information, but I'll say, because I don't seem to find a way around the, what do you do for work? Well, I'm off due to health issues. Well, what are those health issues? Or I get, are you feeling better? No, I'm not. Like, well, will you be feeling better next week to go to dinner? <laughs> like, I've had one person ask me, well, are you in a cast? No, I'm not in a cast. Like, because they'll ask like questions to try and find out what it is. And then I'll just tell them it's a chronic illness. I'm not at all ashamed or worried because I'd rather them know right away. And like I said, weed them out. I mean, I don't give them the full extent or say this is all of the information and like drop it on their door. But (laughs) I just kind of say, you know, it's a chronic illness and this is, I don't like list off everything though. Cause I think that's a little overwhelming. I mean, it was overwhelming for me and I got the diagnosis over years. Let me pose a hypothetical to you. If you were to achieve deep remission and you were to go back to your career, how do you think that would change your disclosure? I don't know anymore if it would, because quite honestly, if I was working, I would still want to find someone who was compassionate and understanding and I guess what I found that I'm looking for is not necessarily who someone who's going to drop everything and change their life for me, but somebody who's understanding and I guess just compassionate. And these people are just like, oh, as soon as they hear health, they're like either, uh, no, this is out the door. I don't want anyone that has to do with health issues or... I've had one person who did know about all of it and then was almost too intrigued. (laughs) Let's just say they worked in the medical field. That's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they worked in the medical field and they were really intrigued about POTS. And I was like, um, okay, but I get to be on the, I get to be listed as like a, an author on the research paper then. Like, <laughs> right. Like, oh no, am I signing up to be a case study? Is that what's going on? You know, here? right. Like, oh, that's interesting. How much of it do you think is a maturity thing or do you think it is maturity? I don't know how much of it is maturity, but some of them, I mean, I'm mid, I'm 30 some years old, some of them were up to 40. So I mean, you would think that maturity should have kicked in by then. Maybe I should wait the extra eight years and find out. Yeah. You know, I do wonder, too, how much of it is because there's an idea that all young people are well. And while IBD is not 
an uncommon condition, it still might be considered uncommon in people who are younger. You know, I wonder how often people your age kind of come up against something like that. Right. Well, and quite honestly, I mean, the one thing that I haven't done is people will put, you know, like, I love rock climbing or I love jumping off cliffs. Well, you know, that's great. And if I could do that, I would very much like to do that. I used to do that at one point in time, but just because I like it doesn't mean I do it all the time. So it's things I've learned not to list on my profile. I, you know, like, and yet when you don't they, want to oversell it. <laughs> right. Like, well, and then like, well, but it's funny. Cause they'll like, I'll, I'll get their profile and I'm like this. Well, that's a hard pass. Like, Right, right. I'm not going to be necessarily scaling any rock walls anytime soon. Yeah. That's like we're looking for someone who's super. Like I'm looking for someone who's super active. Oh, hard pass. Like that's. I mean, I've learned to change my expectations of myself, but I've learned a lot about myself too. Like, like I said, knowing what I want out of things and what I'm just in general looking for. Right. I was going to say, because you said that before, that you've learned so much about yourself. So what are you looking for now? Like almost, not why are you putting yourself through the pain, but why are you (laughs) putting yourself through the pain? (laughs) Well, honestly, it is partially for that. And the thing that I found is funny because you know, it's been so long since I've been putting myself through this sort of pain. 10 years ago, whatever, what was never asked of me is, so do you want children? Now, the few dates that have been, I guess, decent, or that I've gone on multiple dates with the same person, that question comes up every single time. And I'm like, that's something that I never would have thought about until this happened. And that's what I mean about like learning about myself, things that I have to stop and think about that I didn't consider before that I had to now. Right. Or they may have come along sort of in a different way that you thought about them gradually, but now you're sort of being forced to confront things rather head on, it sounds like. Right. Like I've never thought, hey, because it, well, and when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with Picos. And I was actually told as a teenager that I would never be able to have children, which is not true. I was um, actually, I found out I was pregnant and from a flare, I was in the emergency room. And then they were like, oh, you're pregnant. No, no, you need to go retest that because I can't get pregnant. And so I went for years um, thinking that I could never get pregnant. And they're like, no, no, we retested it. It's you. <laughs> like it wasn't the wrong person. And then I um, ended up miscarrying. So this was um, like something I never thought would happen. And I never thought about. And then after that point, um, my ex never wanted children, well, more children, I should say. So it was never something in my mind. And then when I started dating again, and I started getting this question, I'm like, oh, that's something I actually have to think about now. Like, 
what is that something I want in my life? I think there's this cultural acceptance that dating is a fun time in your life or it's an exciting time in your life. And I mean, honestly, but dating with chronic illness is, is freaking hard work, right? <laughs> it can be. And like, it's, I mean, it can be fun. And like when you, and it should be fun is the thing is that like, it should be fun and you should be able to like laugh. And like the first part of dating, when you meet the right person should be fun. Like you should make it fun. You should be able to laugh with the person. And you know, that's why like you should be able to find someone, or at least that's what my thought is that you should be able to find someone that you can laugh with and have a good time. And I think that's partially why I disclose is that like, if you're going to be weirded out by, cause I still have like urgency issues and sometimes I have to, you know, go to the bathroom. So if you're going to be weirded out by the fact that I have to run to the bathroom sometimes, then, well, I, sorry, crap happens. Like, you know, literally. Like literally. So <laughs> I mean, like, sorry, I have to use the bathroom sometimes. Like that's just an issue. Or sometimes I need to sit down because otherwise I will fall down. Like that's, that's just a part of you're going to have to, if you want to date me, like not necessarily on the first date, but that comes along with some like chronic illness. There's a few apps out there that are made for people with chronic illness, or I think there may even be some for people with IBD. Have you ever dipped your toe into those dating apps or those dating websites? I have not. I've honestly just tried the one and I did download a second one, but truthfully, the second one that I downloaded that I looked for, um, that is for like GI issues, it's that has like very limited range. Like I just put it in to check it out because I'd said it was for GI issues. Like within a hundred miles of me, I think there were two people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of, you know, like <laughs> limited. Um, but I think that's, you know, a great option. I do actually um, moderate one, it's not an actual app or anything. There is a group on Facebook for dysautonomia and POTS patients, but it's not really a, like a social thing. I think it's more for just people to talk about issues they're having with dating because it can be frustrating. <laughs> I see it a lot where people with GI disease get together and, and date because honestly, there is all these barriers in the way and it just seems to be easier to find somebody that truly understands what you're coping with. Yeah. Well, and quite honestly, it, you know, it's difficult for, I think just in general, anyone who, you know, has a chronic illness that feels understood. I've heard of some people getting some really horrible comments to them. I have thankfully not encountered that because I have very little filter and I probably would not be very nice back. <laughs> I could see that. I mean, after everything that you've been through, I mean, come on, you don't need that kind of ridiculousness. I mean, so. but like, I, I think it's like overall just misunderstood. Um, I would probably try to be nice, but I mean, I've heard some people get some pretty horrible things said to them and it's just, 
I think lacking in overall, I think that's why we do what we do is to try and educate people so that there's awareness. Absolutely. Is there anywhere else that you've gone to sort of meet people or socialize? Or are you just trying to like use the app? I know it's challenging because you have your diagnoses and it's not like, you know, you're, you know, it's not so easy to just go out to a bar. And, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if people do that anymore. <laughs> well, honestly, and that's just it. Like, even with the app, I rarely use it. I'm not like really active in trying to find someone. I mean, I'm very much if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Like it, it kind of, it's, if it's meant to be, like I've talk to a few people, you know, it's, if it's going to happen, if it's going to happen. Um, I tried the app, um, gone on, well, several first dates. And then I think it, you kind of need to feel it. I'm very weird that I'm kind of old fashioned that I think you need to meet someone before like the whole, so I'm fine with the online thing, but chatting, you won't really know until you meet them in person. I agree. I don't know if you know this. I've talked about it a little bit on the pod, not so much in my writings necessarily, but I did meet my husband on the internet. And this was, you know, more than 20 years ago. So it was kind of a weird situation. And I did finally have to get on a plane and go and meet him because as you say, it's it's a completely different animal. And then even after you have been chatting online for a while and you think that you're becoming close the in-person relationship just has a different dynamic. And it, there's almost a learning curve there. Well, and it is. And like, it's funny because like, you can be talking and texting and everything like that. But once you're together face-to-face or in a room, it's just like, it can be kind of awkward or, you know, or it can be great, it, you know, or somewhere in between. It, I don't know. Um, it can be all sorts of things. Like you never know until I think you're with that person. As you're going through finding your way in the dating world as a person with chronic illness, what do you think you're going to get out of dating? Honestly, I think that I'm going to get more, well, I'm hoping more confidence. I don't know. I, like, I'm hoping because quite honestly, it's given me more confidence as far as about myself, um, personally, um, basically because of knowing what I want and who I am. And just in general, jumping back in from where I was, it made me realize what I will and won't accept as a person. Um, and in a relationship, I don't know how to work on the body image issues. I don't take or have pictures taken of myself frequently. And so one thing that I was really worried about was I saw the pictures that were taken of me and they were several months old. And like most patients, I my weight fluctuates. And so I'm like, well, what pictures can I put out there of, or which pictures do I have of where I am weight-wise now? And then I'm like, oh, so then when I meet him, what do I do? Like, oh, you're not being catfished. It's still me. <laughs> like, That's a good point. I mean, who is the same? I mean, honestly, most of us, 
every six months we we might look completely different based on what's happening with our health. Right. So I actually just started talking to someone um, and I was like, oh my God, when I meet him, what am I going to do? This is, and it's someone that I actually, okay, I'm jinxing it by saying this, actually do kind of like a lot. And so I was like, when he sees me, I'm like, I was calling my friend, like, when he sees me, he's going to be like, oh my God, I don't like you anymore. That's what I was worried about. And thankfully that did not happen, or at least he didn't say it to my face. Well, I mean, hopefully not. It's, it shouldn't be about physical appearance. And I get that people need to find the person that they're with physically attractive. Hopefully the physical attractiveness comes along with you know, it's somebody that you enjoy, that you enjoy being with, that you enjoy who you are when you're with them. Definitely. And that's hopefully what will all culminate from this. And, you know, we'll see what happens from there. I'm not really sure what will all come from the dating. The other thing that was nerve wracking to me is now I have a port. I'm not, I was not nervous so much about the port after it was implanted, it's not really as visible, but now having it accessed pretty much all the time, that will be interesting. It's kind of another sort of level of thing to explain. Right. right? Another thing to explain, another thing, because I don't, like you said, I hold some things back. And so it's like, well, how will this moving forward be? It's on a need to know basis. Right. Come right? about anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah. So, how do you feel about dating? Do you feel hopeful about it? You seem like you're kind of taking it sort of one day at a time. I think that I'm hopeful about it. I think that it's something that a lot of people struggle with, including myself, that isn't really talked about enough because it's definitely hard for a lot of people, especially with it being online now, which again, like you, I didn't really do as much of the online beforehand. And I know you didn't at all, but I mean, um, because with online, there's so much mystery and you have to be safe. I always tell someone where I'm going, who I'm meeting, well, allegedly meeting and where I'm going to be specifically at all times. I think it's interesting because it's part of the human experience, kind of like going to the bathroom. We all do it, and yet we all feel rather alone while we're in the midst of it. Right, because it's something that, like you said, like going to the bathroom, everything is online now pretty much. And it's something that you almost feel more comfortable being online, and you can say things that you really don't stay in person. And then it's like, well, this is, I think, why things are almost inappropriately said, which makes me like, why did why did that get said? Which is why I think I'm a little more shocked at some of the things that are said to me (laughs) now. (laughs) Yeah, I can understand that because you wouldn't say that to someone's right. But I'm very hopeful about it. I think it's gonna go well. It's just a learning curve for me. Thank you so much for talking with me about being a young person and dating (laughs) with IBD. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, great. I'm so glad. I hope I didn't overshare. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. I think you were very measured. 
So I appreciate that. Well, thank you again. I had a great time on here. Okay. Thanks, Angela. Hi, super listener. I find it very interesting how dating is part of the natural human experience, and yet we all feel alone while we're going through it. Sometimes you might get together with your friends and discuss the people that you're dating and how you manage certain situations, but when you have a chronic illness and you don't really have all that many friends that are chronically ill and in the dating space, you're kind of forced to make these decisions on your own. And as Angela said, it leads to a lot of introspection, which is not a bad thing, but if you weren't ready to do that at that time, it can really be a little bit of a shock to confront these things about yourself and about other people as you're learning how to navigate the dating world while having IBD. Thank you so much for your attention. I really appreciate you making it to the end of the episode. Don't forget that you can find me everywhere on the interwebs as about IBD. Check the show notes for some of the things that we discussed in this episode, as well as where to find Angela and get in touch with her. Thank you so much to Angela for talking with me. She's a delight, isn't she? Take care. And remember, I want you to know more about IBD. IBD.